Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, What is the Church? Many think of the church as a building or organization, but scripture teaches something far different. The church is the community of God's people who gather for worship, love, and care for one another and serve God's purposes in the world. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's word in your life today. We are uh, today going to be looking at Galatians chapter 5, verses uh, 13 to 15. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. We're going to be continuing this week and next still in our current series on uh, what is the church. And... um, and also, we're uh, kind of teaching a couple of questions in our catechism, and then actually we'll be doing something new uh, for uh, Advent that we're pretty excited about, and I'll talk a little bit more about that probably next week. But Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 15, hear now the word of the living, sovereign God. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Um, One of the things that the military does is it has to form people and change them into a new culture. So whether it's through boot camp or OCS or one of the things that was a little bit unique in the Marine Corps is uh, for officers, there's a thing called the basic school down at Quantico. And when you go through there, it is a school to form Marine officers. And it's teaching you all kinds of things in classes, both inside and you go outside and you practice by going to the field. But it's not just instruction. It's part of a community and a culture that's trying to form and teach you what it means to be an officer of Marines. So there's an instructional side, there's a school side, but then there's a whole culture that is forming and fashioning and shaping you into what it means to be a Marine. And the church is actually the same way. When we gather week after week, and as we are part of a community together, there, the church, if you want to think of it, is a school and a community that is trying to instruct us and to also form and fashion us into the kind of people that God is calling us to be. And one key area of that is the church is a community and a school of servanthood. We are called to be servants. So if you remember, we've been looking at our catechism, which is just, it's it's about 100 questions we've got that kind of dive into the the basic essentials of the Christian faith. And in one of them, question 71, we're saying, are Christians only called to be part of the universal church? And the answer is no. All Christians are called to be part of local churches where they are led and cared for by elders, worship God, learn the scriptures, receive the sacraments, Uh, pray together, and then the next phrase is serve one another 
and then carry out the Great Commission together. We'll look at carrying out the Great Commission together next week. But this phrase of serving one another, and if you think of here at Bay Ridge, we've got the, you know, the four aspects, love God, connect with others, uh, serve one another, and reach the world. This is what it means to be a disciple. So servanthood is essential. This is not like, you know, well, it's one of 50 different things. This is a core component of what it means to be a disciple and a core component of what the church is doing. Now, notice here in our text, we want to talk about this, this idea that we are actually a community of free servants. This is why we are both a school and a community. It's not enough to say something. There has to be actual practice, and there has to be shaping and molding because we are not just servants. We are free servants. So notice how Paul begins here in Galatians 5.13. He says, you, my brothers, were called to be free. Now, this is Paul reminding us the essence of the gospel is freedom. The essence of what it means to be in Christ is that we are free. The gospel proclaims that through Jesus Christ, we are free from the penalty of sin. We are free from the fear of the penalty of sin. Now, this is a huge issue in our culture and our world. So much of the world operates based on a shame culture, trying to shame people into acting a certain way. The gospel tells us, no, you are free of all of that. Yes, you have sinned, but in Christ, you are forgiven and you are free. This is the essence of the gospel. And it's why we should, as believers, we should be uh, quick to share the gospel with other people because it is the best possible news. Human beings are laboring under a sense of guilt before God because we all know that we sin. We all know that we fall short. And the good news is you can be forgiven. You can be free. And it's not by what you do. It's by what Jesus Christ has done. And so Paul begins by telling us this is the essence of what the gospel is. This is the essence of what it means to be a Christian. You are free. And we are not only free regarding fear and the penalty of sin. We are free of the slavery of popular opinion. Human beings, the world over, we, we are so much, we all look back, right? You remember middle school when you cared about what your, all your peers thought, right? You remember this morning when you woke up and you cared about what all your peers thought? See, we are slaves to popular opinion, but the gospel says we are free of that because whatever the world says about me, God says I am accepted and I am loved in Jesus Christ. Whatever the world might think or say or try and form and fashion, the gospel says that I am a child of God. I have dignity by being a created in God's image. Uh, I have unique worth and eternal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. All of that is mine in the gospel. So we are free from popular opinion. We are also, however, free from the slavery to our own sinful desires, tendencies, and, and patterns. Now, 
This is critical for us to think through because some people listen to the first part and say, oh, I'm free. That means I am free to do whatever I want. In fact, the scripture says that is not freedom, it's slavery. It's the exact opposite. Notice how Paul turns to this immediately there in verse 13. He says, you were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. See, our culture thinks that freedom is doing whatever I want. It is following whatever desire I have, however I have identified myself. The scripture says not only is that not freedom, that is the worst form of slavery imaginable. It is the absolute worst form of slavery imaginable. Do not indulge the sinful nature is what Paul is telling us. He's telling us when you hear that you're free, don't think that means you can run off down the path of sin. Because no matter how much we think that our self-identity and our desire should be followed, that is actually slavery. Now I'm going to keep coming back to this this morning because our culture is telling you every day, every way, if you want it, if it is your passing desire, if it is your whim, if it is what you feel is your deepest identity, you should follow that. You are free to be you. And the scripture says that is slavery, the worst sort of slavery. And so freedom is the opposite of that. True freedom is the ability to choose to follow God's moral law, not the simple ability to choose what we want to do. Choosing sin is simply degrading to who we are. And so this is imperative for us to understand, because I'm going to remind you this later. America defines our, we are the land of the free. We are the place of freedom. That's what we all speak. But the funny thing is, what we define as freedom is actually slavery. Even though it's our national motto, we don't even know what freedom is. And we are growing more confused regarding what freedom is by the day. So as God's image bearers, freedom is becoming more like God, not choosing to indulge sin and becoming less like God. In fact, that is slavery. It's the exact opposite of what freedom is. Hear me, if you're taking notes, write this down. Sin is always slavery. Always. To choose sin is to dig down and put your face down in the muck and say, I am a slave. No matter what the sin is, no matter what my reason for choosing that sin, sin enslaves always, and it degrades who we are. Now, Paul moves on and says, okay, so that's what freedom is. It's not indulging the sinful nature. But he goes on and he says, Christians, you use your freedom to become servants. Now, there's a little bit of a play on words in Greek because free men were used by the title here for the word freedom. And if you are actually a slave, it's the word that we translate because it can be either slave or servant. 
So there's a paradox going on here. In Christ, you were set free, but Paul says you're going to use that freedom to let yourself become a servant to other people, but you are a free servant. Notice there again in verse 13, don't indulge the sinful nature, rather serve one another in love. So we actually use the freedom we are given in Christ in the gospel to turn and to make myself a servant to another. So freedom, again, very different than our culture, does not lead to radical independence. It does not lead to me saying, I'm over here, and I'm free, and I do what I want. Again, the scripture says, no, that's slavery. True freedom is I am interdependent with others, and I use my freedom to actually serve another person in love. I put their needs ahead of my own needs. So notice, um, notice what Paul says here, that we are free to serve one another. We are created to serve one another in love. He goes on in verse 14 and says, the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, He's talking there about really the, the, what we call the second table in the Ten Commandments, okay? Honor your father and mother. Don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't deceive one another. Uh, don't, uh, don't covet after one another. Paul says all of those are a description of love. They are a description that if you actually love your neighbor, here's the ways you will behave. And by the way, just for a freebie, the Ten Commandments, not only it's, it's expressed in negative terms, it says don't steal. It actually implies and includes the command, work hard and be generous with others. You can see Paul shows us this in Ephesians chapter 4, for example. It always includes the other. So it tells us to, you know, not only don't slander your neighbor, don't lie about your neighbor, but actually speak well of them, speak the truth. To them. And Paul says this is what love looks uh, like in this world. Now, God's law is a definition and description of love because God is love. The law is not arbitrary. It's merely a reflection and a description of who God is. And because God is love, Paul says the law is love published. It's love written out. It's a description of it. And since we are made in the image of God, what are we made to do? To love. And so Paul says, if you're made to love, freedom is when you're actually walking in love, which is expressed in serving other people. And a self-centered nature is not an expression of love. It is not, will not lead to serving other people. It is, in fact, not true to what our image is, our very nature is, because it goes against the way God himself is. So Paul's telling us here, this is what true freedom actually looks like. It's the fulfillment of God's law and our creation as God's image bearers. So consequently, to violate God's law, including the call to serve one another, the call to love one another, uh, is actually, again, slavery, because it's not the way you and I were made. We were created to be a certain sort of being. 
So Paul here in summary in verses 13 and 14 tells us, if you use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature, instead of choosing to be a servant to other people, being a consumer, instead of being oriented towards giving and helping others, always thinking about what's in it for me and how do I look out for number one, Paul says if you do that, you've actually gone right back into slavery. It's like a human slave that had their freedom bought and then they choose to sell themselves right back to their old master. Paul says, what, why would you do that? You've been set free. Don't become slaves by becoming self-centered. Don't become slaves by running after sin. Rather, serve other people. Be oriented towards them and walk in righteousness. Now, this leads us to this thing about the church being the community and the school of servanthood. Because what I want to get across to us in the, the bit of time we've got left this morning is part of why we are a community and why we don't just get saved and then I just walk out my Christian life on my own is the church is where we are formed into these kind of servants. Because again, in just a few minutes, we're all going to get in our cars and drive away and the world is waiting at your car door right now. And there are demons waiting at your car door and they are going to whisper, you are the center of the universe. Everyone else should serve you. Freedom is when other people serve you and you do what you want. And the church is here, so we keep reminding each other, that's not true. Don't listen to that voice. That's the voice of the devil. Don't, don't follow that. That's slavery. So how does this work out in practice? I'll talk about a couple of different ways. Number one, we are called in the church to serve others with the gifts we have been given. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 11, the Apostle Peter writes these words, the end of all things is near. Let me step aside for a second and just say, if your eschatology is wondering, are we getting close to the end times, we've been as much in the end times as we are ever going to be since the first century. When Jesus ascended to the Father, you got to, it's 1159.59 on the clock, and the Bible doesn't have any more getting to the end times, okay? The end of all things has been near, is near, will be near tomorrow, and it has nothing to do with what's going on out in the world around us right now. It has to do with we live in the end of days because Christ has come. So Peter says the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. So notice he's talking about love, just like Paul did in Galatians 5. How does that work out? Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has been given to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. So notice here, right off, he tells us that every one of us is given gifts by God's grace. And in fact, the word gifts in Greek is built on the word grace. That's what they are. They're grace gifts. It means when God's grace works in your life, 
it works out a little bit distinctly from the way it works in my life, which is a little bit distinct from the way it works in another brother or sister's life. But Peter says, whatever way it works out, whatever way you are gifted, whatever things God has given you to be able to do, you need to use that to be able to serve other people. Because what you're doing is you're recognizing you are a steward. You are administering God's grace in its various forms. This is kind of back to the, the concept of the body that we looked like, uh, we looked at earlier. That every one of us has different gifts. So I don't worry about the gift I don't have. But I can't serve because I don't have that gift. I worry about the gifts I do have. And I use those gifts. It is a waste of time to worry about what I can't do. I should put all of my focus on what I can do, what God is calling me to do. Secondly, he tells us in verse 11, if anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. Good news about the gifts is I don't, I don't have to serve out of my own strength. I serve with the strength that God gives. If I try to serve in my own strength, I'm going to become weary very quick. I'm not going to be able to continue serving other people. But if I'm drawing upon God's grace, and in fact, I'm, what this means is every day I need to be drawing upon God and who he is. I need to be freshly receiving the grace of God. I need to be hearing the gospel again as it's applied to me. And as that stirs up in my soul, I then find ways that I can reach out and serve others. The third thing Peter tells us is we do all of this so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. We serve not so that I get praise and honor and glory, not so that we can have an award and pat each other on the back for who's the best servant, but so that God would receive praise and honor and glory. So it's the grace of God at work in my... If you are a Christian and you have received the grace of God, you are gifted and you are responsible to use those gifts to serve. Secondly, we are responsible day by day to draw upon God, to freshly receive the grace of God, so today I can go out and serve. And thirdly, I'm doing it with the attitude and the purpose and the motivation that God would receive glory, that he would receive the glory that he is due. And all of this, Peter says, is an expression of love. And it works out in practical ways, like showing hospitality to one another, caring for one another. Love is not an emotion. It is actually things that are concretely expressed as we serve one another. We meet the needs that are there for us. So the first aspect is we are called to serve with our gifts. But secondly, we are just called to, in general, a lifestyle, a pattern of humble servanthood. Humble servanthood. Uh, this summer, we did a series looking at the church as the image of the Trinity, and I talked about this passage in particular in Philippians chapter 2, where Paul teaches us that it is to be a characteristic of the church. We are to be humble servants. And this is based on who Jesus is. In Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 3, Paul's making an appeal to the church, and he says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, 
but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Now, Paul begins this way because the entire world operates out of selfish ambition. And it operates out of, the, the NIV's translated it vain conceit. The word literally means empty, okay? Vain's not in the sense of just prideful. That's what conceit is. It's an empty conceit because, friend, you don't have anything to be arrogant about, nor do I. Here's what you brought to the table, sin. That's what I brought to the table. But Jesus has redeemed us. He has made us free. The Holy Spirit has come into us. The grace of God is at work in us, and we have gifts to be able to serve others. And so Paul here writes and says, so you don't live by selfish ambition. You don't live by vain conceit, but you are humble looking towards others, trying to find ways to try and serve them. Our entire culture to, uh, reinforces our sinful tendency to be narcissistic, to be turned in on myself. And in fact, in America right now, we have put narcissism on steroids and we make excuses for it. You can get popular on TV by doing it. You can get power, and we make excuses for people we like for, well, you know, they're just being strong. No, they're not. They're narcissistic, and that's wicked. It's sinful. It's not good, and we as believers need to understand that's not how we live. A narcissist is always putting themselves at the center. The Christian response is no, I'm looking for how I can serve others. God is at the center, and because that's taken care of, I'm looking to serve others. And Paul goes on and says, how do you do that? He says, well, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God. Now see, Jesus thinking he's the center is not vain conceit. It's reality. He is the center. He is the one through whom all things exist. He's the one holding all things together. He has every prerogative not to serve, but to be served. But notice what Paul says, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of servant being made in human likeness. Now, I've spoken this before. The phrase there, made himself nothing, Jesus did not for one second cease to be God. What he did do was give up his own divine prerogatives. He had the right. You remember in the garden. Don't you think I could call right now and, and 12 legions of angels would come? I mean, don't you think I could just speak right now and these people would cease to exist? I will not do that. That was his entire pattern of life. And so we are to be molded to have the attitude and the mind of Christ who forsook his divine prerogatives and became a humble servant even to the point of death. How many of us in our servanthood have died? I assume that you're sitting here. Some of you, it's hard to see with the mask on and the blankets. I can't tell if you're alive or not. But I'm assuming we're all alive here, right? So we have not reached that point. Jesus came to the point where servanthood meant death. 
And he said, not my will, but thine be done. Okay? And the writer to Hebrews tells us, hey, you've not yet entered the point where you've actually shed your blood like Jesus did. Jesus did shed his blood. He did go the whole way. So this means that the Christian life is not modeled on this world or its ways, but rather on the life and the ways of Jesus Christ, who did not come uh, to be served, but to serve and to lay his life down as a ransom for many. And Paul's telling us that is the model, that is the way that we live. Now, again, the difficulty is, see, everything in the world, and especially in our culture, it's on steroids. Look, and we all do this. I want something, I pull out my phone, I flip up the Amazon app, I don't even have to move out of my chair, and whatever I want will appear at my door. Every one of us lives with a genie in the bottle now. And what is it telling you every single day? You're important. You should be served. You don't need to serve. Whatever you want, you should have it your way. Hold the pickle, hold the lettuce, special orders. Don't All we want to do is give it to you your way. You hear that 24-7. And so do I. And the problem is we start believing it. So we need the church we need to be around one another to be a school in a community where we're taught and shaped. No, that's not true. That's slavery. That's not freedom. That's not the way you were made. And to be reminded that what we actually need to do is, no, you need to be a servant. So notice every one of the texts that I've been reading, that Paul wrote, that Peter wrote, all of these texts are written to Christians in the church. And it's first and foremost about how we behave within the church. All of these are predominantly instructions about how we behave in the church. Now, why would he do this? This is not because, well, I'm going to be a servant here, but a self-centered, narcissistic person around my unbelieving neighbors. Not the message. Why does he write it to the church? Because, friends, if we can't practice humble servanthood with one another, where we realize we've been redeemed by Jesus Christ, where we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and whatever other disagreements we may have, we are united in Christ Jesus. If we can't practice humble servanthood here, there is no way I will practice it with unbelieving family members, neighbors, co-workers, and friends. It won't happen. Practice is where you get ready for the game. Okay? It's how you get prepared. When we are in community as the church, it's practice in a sense for the game of life out there. It's preparing you and I so that when we get there and our neighbor acts in a narcissistic, self-centered way, and our immediate reaction in the voice in our ear says, that person thinks they're the center. You need to tell them you're the center. We say, no, that's not how Jesus would do it. That's not what I've been practicing. That's not what I've been being molded to do. So I'm going to find a way to serve this person who right now is behaving in a manner that quite honestly is taking me off rather than making me want to serve them. And so this is the place where we are learning and practicing that. And... But let me be clear again, 
That does not mean that we just do this with believers. We are also called to do it with unbelievers. In Galatians 6.10, the same letter that our text is from, the Apostle Paul says this, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So we are to do good, which is letting uh, our gifts operate so that whatever way we can, love is producing acts of service in our life. And Paul says the first priority is towards your fellow believers. Okay, and we, we do this as we are living in community with one another. But uh, we are to do it with everyone, all people, regardless of whether they are believers. Because once again, whether they're a Christian or not, they are still my neighbor. Whatever differences we have. I remind you of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember, it was shocking when Jesus did that. Think of the political party, the identity you like least in the world. That's what the Samaritans were. If Jesus were standing up here, he would not be putting the Samaritan as the people you like. It would be the people you don't like. And he says, that's the person that's being a neighbor. And they were doing it to somebody who, quite honestly, might have despised them. Go and do likewise. And that's what Paul's telling us. We do it with everyone. So the local church is the community where we're taught humble servanthood as a virtue and where we practice acts of servanthood and where our souls are being shaped. Because it's not just we do something. Our souls need to be shaped so that our whole life becomes characterized by the attitude and practices of servanthood. That that's our, our go-to, our natural way. So how do we apply this? And then we'll come to the Lord's table. The first thing is just a question I want to ask you to think about. And that is, do I understand true freedom? And I'm coming back to this because you and I are being discipled every day into what freedom is. And what the scripture tells us to do, you're going to be told by people, that's slavery, man. That, that's not, don't do that. You need to express who you are. And either that's right or the scripture's right. Either the world is right or Jesus Christ is right, but they can't both be right because they're saying exactly opposite things. Do I understand freedom? Because what our culture says is freedom is slavery. It is a distortion of your humanity. It will suck all the joy out of your life and out of your soul. It will leave you an empty shell because you were not made to be that way and so freedom again is not the ability just to choose what i want a drug addict choosing to take drugs is not expressing freedom they're expressing the worst form of slavery they are enslaved and eventually they will even lose the ability to say no to that thing see that's what slavery uh, that's what sin does it increasingly enslaves, and what was initially a free choice is now a compulsion, okay? That's not what we were created for. So freedom is the ability to have my desires and my behaviors align with the way that God has made me. So I appeal to you this morning, do not listen to the constant message that is out there. And I mean, folks, it is in every TV show you're watching. It's in the music you hear on the radio. 
It's in all the advertisements you are seeing. It is what politicians are telling you. It is what the news is telling you. You cannot escape the constant drumbeat that is a lie telling you this is what you need. You need this type of freedom. And as Christians, we have to say, no thank you, I don't want to be a slave. And that's what you're telling me to do. Second question, am I growing in humble servanthood? Now this is so critical for us because the Holy Trinity eternally exists as a fountain overflowing in a love that gives and serves. The very nature of God is not taking, but giving. And since the universe flows out of God's being, out of God's overflowing love, the entire nature of the universe as it's created is not to take, but to give. As the Apostle Paul quotes Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The reason for that is it's lining up with the very nature of the universe. It's lining up with the very nature of God. I was working on the teaching the other day, and uh, I'm listening to uh, the book right now, Up From Slavery by Booker T. Washington. Really good book. But I was listening to this part as I was meditating on this whole thing of servanthood, and suddenly I, I hear Booker T. Washington say these words. He's off at college. Give a little thing. Got to remember, Booker T. Washington was born a slave. He'd been freed. He's now off at college. And he's watching people whose entire lives are serving other people. And he's watching people who are even glad to work for either the college or a company. And they're glad to serve others that way. And he doesn't understand it. So he says this. It was hard for me to understand how anyone could be happy working for others. But before the end of the year, I think I began to learn that those who are happiest are those who do the most for others. And this is what came to characterize his entire life. See, Booker T. Washington was learning something there. And he said, see, I thought joy was found in having other people do stuff for me. But what I discovered after a while was all the people who were happiest were the ones who were actually doing things for other people. And that's because it's the way God has made reality. The consumer mindset goes against reality. And I mean reality with a capital R. The fabric of the universe is set to say, it's more blessed to give than receive. It's more blessed to serve rather than to be served. And so the church is the community where we are being formed in an orientation of service rather than being a consumer. So what I ask us this morning is, how am I serving even within the church? Next week we're going to be looking at ways where we reach outside, and the two kind of overlap. But how am I being a servant? Because, friends, again, if we don't do it within the church, within the kingdom, we are not likely to do it outside. So, how am I doing it? I want you to think and ask yourself that question. How am I serving others? How am I serving brothers and sisters? Now, I called out this morning some folks that are here. Again, you know, for us to be up here doing this, there are people who get here before 8.30 in the morning to start 
running around and setting all this up. Their day starts very, very early. They are serving everyone else here, and nobody's here to watch it and see it. Maybe we serve that way. There are people who are off serving in children's ministry, okay? The kids don't just wander off and go take care of themselves. There are people who are loving and caring for them. Maybe God has gifted you and called you to be engaged and involved in that. There were a whole bunch of people yesterday from the church down at the pop-up pantry. We also serve at Lighthouse Shelter, making dinners and working. Those are ways that we are serving other people. It's just a way it's modeling who Christ is. So I want you to think and ask, how am I doing it? Now, in light of, I said something a few minutes ago, and I want to come back to this. You may be thinking, but Brett, the COVID restrictions are hitting, and I can't even come to the outdoor meeting. Okay? Servanthood is not fussing about what I can't do. It's finding what I can do. Okay? What I can do. So, even if I'm restricted and I can't leave my house, can I write a letter to somebody? Can I get on the phone and give them a call? Can I send a text? Can I be faithfully doing exactly what Myrtle encouraged to do earlier? I'm in the Word of God, and then I am praying this for my brothers and sisters. See, there are, there are great saints through the ages, and I am convinced when we get to heaven, some of the people that we are going to be astounded that have done the most are people we've never heard of because maybe they were even restricted to their house for much of their life, but they spent hours and hours in prayer serving their brothers and sisters. So what I want you to ask yourself is not what you can't do. How can I be engaged in serving others? Starting in the church and then expanding out. Friends, service can go for everything from hey, I can come in one day during the week and do some kind of a thing, or I can pick up the phone and I can make calls or I can make a meal for somebody. Ask God to give you insight and wisdom, both in the church and then also outside. The same things go on. Maybe you got a neighbor who can't run to the grocery store, but you can. Maybe you got a neighbor who just has moved in and you can start praying for them. You see that God's trying to do something in their life. How can you serve them. Now what we're going to do is we're going to come to the Lord's table and this is a reminder to us every time we do it that Christ served us. The reason we take this bread and this cup is because Christ served us. We, we have no right to this table. And secondly, as we reenact it and we partake of the, the broken body and the shed blood of Christ, we are reenacting and reminding ourselves, yes, he served me specifically, and he did it to the point of death. And so we're going to receive from Christ as he serves us, and then being blessed, we're going to go out and we're going to bless and serve others. Now what I want you to do, we're going to begin by uh, confessing the faith together. And so if you look on page 9 in your booklet, We have a confession here, and this confession is actually based upon Philippians 2, where I've been talking, you know, the last few minutes out of it. And so 
we are going to confess the faith together here out of Philippians 2. And we're going to stand and do it together, and then we're going to come to the Lord's table together. So why don't we stand, and we're going to confess to who Jesus is, and let him mold and shape us. Friends, let us confess the faith together. Jesus, you being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made yourself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. You humbled yourself, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted you to the highest place and gave you the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This we do with all our heart and soul. Friends, you can be seated and go ahead and take your packets. If you have confessed these words and you believe these words in your heart and confess them with your mouth, hear God's word of invitation to you and to me. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come. Buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. For the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord Jesus, you were with the Father but you served us by being sent into this world, taking upon yourself our flesh and blood, living in perfect obedience to the Father's will, fulfilling our obligations to God that we might be restored to the Father's favor. In taking this bread, we profess that you are the true God-man, our only hope of salvation. Friends, take and eat.
Lord Jesus, though you were the sinless servant of God, you willingly humbled yourself and submitted to death, even death on the cross. Your blood was shed so that we might be cleansed and forgiven. In taking this cup, we profess that you are the suffering servant, our only hope of salvation. Friends, take and drink the cup of life. Why don't we stand together? We will conclude in prayer, and I encourage you to please pray along with me. And ask the Holy Spirit to come upon us um, as we are ready to go forth and serve others in love. Holy, holy, holy God of power and might, the whole earth is full of your glory. Holy, holy, holy God of power and might, your hands have made all that exists. You are so infinite that no temple made by humans could contain your presence. And yet, you have said that you esteem and dwell with the one who is humble and contrite in spirit, who trembles at your word. Lord, we are your people, and we tremble at your word. The fool perishes in the folly of his way, but we embrace the wisdom of your word, and we fear your holy name. So, Lord, we ask that you would come upon us now. Fill us with your presence molding our minds with your word, shaping our desires with your will. We offer ourselves to you this day and week. May we serve you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we, may we serve others in a manner that is pleasing to you and brings glory to your name. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and God's people say, amen. Friends, receive the blessing of your God. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father, when our Lord Jesus Christ comes with all his holy ones. Friends, you are blessed. Go forth and serve others and be a blessing. Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.